We are fire and air. They are sea and stone. One would think that the union of our houses would bring about a perfect balance, a harmony of elements. But fire, when hot and deep and strong enough, will conquer water and dry it up until nothing remains. The waters of the sea could not quench the flame with which we burn. So burn we shall, united by blood and bond, by passion and pride. Fire is a prison we willingly lock ourselves in. But the sea offers an escape. The seahorse will swim into freer waters, and the dragons side by side will soar. This is a watch party of ice and fire. We are your hosts, Solar. Not today. Constance. Good evening. Uzma. Greetings, lords and ladies. Morgan, who's out ill today, uh, and myself, Sam. In this podcast, we'll be talking everything and anything of Water of Ice and Fire. In this episode, we are talking about the seventh episode of House of the Dragon, Driftmark. In this episode, we are in Driftmark for the funeral of Lena Valerian, and it's all looks and glares. Vaymond is throwing shade about Valerian bl- or Valarian blood, which Damon chuckles at. Otto Hightower's back is hand of the king. Aegon and Lenar are both in their cups for very different reasons. And Jaceris believes that they should be mourning Harwin and Lionel Strong because even he knows who his real dad is. That night, Rhaenys has had it with everyone's bullshit, even her own husband's. Rhaenyra and Daemon get it on on the beach, and Aemon finally gets his dragon after sneaking up to Vagar. Lena's daughters, Bela and Reyna, are furious about this and get back up in Jaceris and Luceris. After a royal scuffle, Luceris slashes Aemon's eye, which leads to all the families involved to quarrel. The rumor of, Lain- of Rhaenyra's children's legitimacy is finally out in the open, and Viserys is just a little bit mad about it. Alicent wants Luke's eye for an eye and takes it upon herself to and attempts to cut it out herself. Luckily for little Luke, the king's guard steps in and Aemon could not be bothered. I may have lost an eye, but I gained a dragon. After this, Otto is pleased with Alicent's passion, I guess, and finally a plan is put into place with Rhaenyra and Laenor ending their marriage amicably by faking Sir Carl murdering Laenor by murdering someone else. Which leads to Rhaenyra and Daemon tying the knot Valyrian style on Dragonstone. Be sure to listen and pay close attention as you can elevate your maester's rank and win links and prizes by listening to the podcast and answering our trivia. Before we get into the episode, we're starting out with our segment for the love of lore, where I'll be going over anything involving history, culture, and customs in the world of Ice and Fire. The council will then discuss the lore and how it affects the current episode. In today's lore, we're talking about bastards Uh, a bastard is a name given to a child whose parents are not married um only dealing with nobles uh the polite term is a natural son or natural daughter Uh, there's also the term baseborn which is basically a bastard of a noble and a lowborn individual uh bastards are not common in noble houses but are frowned upon Uh, a lot of houses tend to care more than others um almost every time it's a noble man who is sleeping around um, depending on who the parent is, a few things can happen with a bastard. Um, sometimes they're brought into the home and they're, they live with the family. Uh, that's pretty rare. Uh, they're brought in as a servant for the noble house or other noble houses. Uh, sometimes they're fostered at a bannerman's house. And then sometimes gold will just be given to the mother of the bastard and then that'll be that. 
Uh, sometimes the mother keeps the child in secret and nothing ever actually comes of the child. Or later on, the child will pop up out of the blue and the mother will be like, here's your bastard. Um, some examples of how some of the bastards are, are handled, uh, Ned and John. John was actually brought into the family, which is pretty rare, but he was pretty hated by Catelyn Stark, so that was a bit of a double-edged sword. Uh, and then Robert Baratheon had many bastards who he quietly was taking care of by giving out gold and making sure they were comfortable. Uh, with different bastards comes different surnames depending on what their location is. Um, in the north, you have the surname of Snow. In the Riverlands, it's Rivers. Uh, in the Vale, you have Stone. In Iron Islands, it's Pike. In the Westerlands, you have Hill. Uh, the Stormlands, Storm. The Reach is Flowers. And Dorn is Sand. And finally, the Crownlands is Waters. The surnames do change, and uh, there are inconsistencies of certain bastard surnames and where they were born. Um, some noblemen actually give entirely different names to their bastards, and some don't even give names to their bastards at all. Uh, the perception of bastards is usually pretty negative. Bastards are said to be born of lust, lies, and weakness. And in the eyes of this, this means they are just automatically little shits no matter what. Um, and it's hard to grow up a bastard with this stigma. Uh, some houses don't take bastardy as seriously as others. Um, some bastards will be brought into noble homes and are just treated like other nobles uh, and true-born children. Um, and ex some examples are Dorn. They pretty much celebrate bastardy. Um, Oberyn's daughters are nicknamed the Sand Snakes. They're pretty uh, legendary. And they're treated just like any true-born sons, daughters, or noblemen. Um, in the Iron Islands, uh, bastardy is still a thing, but in the Island Islanders, they take a lot of salt wives and therefore have a lot of bastards, so there's a pretty blurry line with bastards in the Iron Islands. And then for the Targaryens, we have dragon seeds. Um, this is used for the name of Targaryens and sometimes even Valarian uh, bastards. Uh, this started with the marriage uh, custom of First Night. Uh, this is potentially a Valyrian custom where the lord um, of Dragonstone specifically would sleep with the wife of a small folk couple that were married. Uh, and many bastards were obviously born of this and even celebrated. Many gifts were showered on the couples that had these bastards. So Targaryen bastards have been around for a long, long time. And this tradition even continued after the tradition of First Night was outlawed. Um, some bastards are also known to eventually hold high positions. Um, some of these bastards are knighted. Um, some of them even become Kingsguard and even so much as Lord Commander. Uh, some of them become Maesters of the Citadel. Uh, some of the um, women who are bastards become Septas of the Faith of the Seven. Um, we're not sure if that men can become Septims. That's not really confirmed, but because of the Septas, I imagine they can too. Um, some of them even become lords. Uh, House Justman was actually found by Benedict Rivers, who was a bastard, and he actually ruled the Riverlands for three centuries. And then, of course, you have the Night's Watch that could not care less who you are born from, whether you are a bastard, a peasant, a high lord, you are all the same to them. Uh, many bastards have become lord commanders there and have also um, reigned in high positions there. Jon Snow, obviously. Uh, and then we have legitimization. A bastard can be legitimized by a king or a queen only. Uh, once someone is legitimized, they it cannot be undone. Um, will be done if there's like no true succession uh, to whatever um, lord or king. Uh, this also is done sometimes to just make a marriage. An example of this is Ramsay Bolton actually legitimizes uh, Ramsay. 
or Ramsey is legitimized to marry fake Arya to legitimize the Bolton claim on the North. Um, Aegon the Unworthy is well known for legitimizing all of his bastards, named the Great Bastards, which was probably the worst thing he possibly could have done, or the best to some. Uh, this started the Blackfire Rebellions. Um, Damon Blackfire took the name Damon Blackfire after being legitimized, naming himself after Aegon the Conqueror's sword. He he claimed the black dragon over a red background as their sigil, which is the opposite of the Targaryens. Uh, so after a bastard is legitimized, they actually have a claim to succession and inheritance. Um, it's unclear if a bastard who is legitimized can be chosen over a trueborn child. Um, this has like kind of gone back and forth with whoever it is. In some places, the bastard gets chosen. In other places, the trueborn son daughter gets chosen. Uh, it's pretty up in the air. Uh, and only legitimized bastards can secede or inherit. Um, regular bastards who haven't been legitimized cannot inherit anything. They cannot um, succeed, secede the throne. None of that can happen. Uh, some of the notable bastards, as we've talked about, the great bastards um, who were legitimized by Aegon the Unworthy, Agor Rivers, Shiera Seastar, Damon Blackfire, Gwenys Rivers, Meyer Rivers, and Brynden Rivers, aka the Three-Eyed Raven. Uh, we have the Sand Snakes, as we've talked about earlier, Prince Oberon's bastard daughters, Obara, Nymeria, Tyene, Sorella, Elia, Obella, Durea, and Loreza. Uh, Ramsay Bolton, probably the most infamous bastard that we know of. Uh, Joff and then we have Cersei and Jamie's children, Joffrey, Marcella, and Tommen. Uh, Jon Snow, who in the show is not a bastard, but in the books, we'll see. Um, and then, of course, we have Rhaenyra's children, uh, Jaceris, Lucerys, and Joffrey, who are obviously all Harwin Strong's children. Uh, what do you all think of Bastardy, and how do you think it has affected the episode? So, Solar, we'll start with you. My thoughts on the whole Bastardy thing? Stupid. Just stupid. Okay, I mean, seriously. I don't know if it's reflections of my personal culture going within the books and all that stuff, but it's like, one... The whole idea of like, oh, bastards are born of lust and lies. I'm like, you know what? That's stupid. Um, most of the more functional traditions that we've seen throughout anthropology trace the bloodline through the mother, <laughs> number one. Because <laughs> there's no question on that. <laughs> you know, it, it, it really is a thing. Um, I mean... The the whole thing with Bastardy and Game of Thrones is that's always just stuck in my craw, you know, because it, it's it's very much a reflection on, you know, um, from King Robert making the eight from Damon and Viserys um, talking about how they used to bang every chick in every bar in King's Landing when they were young. Um, and then the kids that are popped out because of this male irresponsibility are held like monsters throughout the whole culture. It's stupid, you know. Now, I get the whole thing with like the nobility and the game of, of thrones and the game of power and all that stuff. But um, in the sense of like, well, that's my child on the throne and it's not your child on the throne and there are political consequences from that. But um yeah, I mean, quite seriously, um, take um, take Princess Ray Ray's kids. 
you know, oh no, they're bastards. Yeah, but they still came out of the queen. And believe it or not, I feel the same way about Joffrey, Tom, and Marcella. You know, it, it's the line is there. You know, so yeah, it's a thing. But this, this is, yeah, yeah I, I think it's pretty dumb. Constance, what about you? Well, I think we we overlooked one of my favorite bastards, Gendry Baratheon. Uh, yeah, we the Spider-Man, <laughs> Hammerman, Hammer, Hammerman. All right, yeah. Bull, the Smith. Yeah, I liked him. He was fun. I I enjoyed seeing his arc in the books and then his arc in the movie in the TV series, which were pretty different from one another. But the point is that <laughs> Robert got around. And they use that as a plot point in the TV series with the blood of a king and Stannis and the three shadow baby demon things. And it's just weird. But um, I think I kind of have to agree with Solar to some regard that if the line is matrilineal, who cares? Like these are Rhaenyra's kids. Rhaenyra is the next queen. Doesn't matter who their dad is. She's the mother. She's the Targaryen bloodline. They are of Targaryen blood, no matter where else their their parentage comes from. But when it comes to a, a patrilineal line, that's a little different. I mean, it's like with Robert's kids. They're not. He had a bunch of bastards, but the kids by Cersei weren't his. They didn't have the bloodline of the family in them, so they I would consider those bastards. Because it was his family line that was being traced and they weren't members of that. But it, it's also the Jamie and Cersei were squick to me. So <laughs> it's like I feel bad for those kids. Um, but yeah, that's that's my take. I, I, liked, I like the way that a bastard can rise above their station. And this that kind of ties into what we hear Corliss saying. Is that history does not remember blood. History remembers names. And then when you think about characters like... Ramsay Snow, who becomes Ramsay Bolton, you're going to remember his name no matter what his last name was. You know, he, they're going to remember his name because of his actions. Doesn't matter whether or not he's legitimized or not, he still made a name for himself. Same thing with Jon Snow. We, we do know that he's legitimate to a degree, at least based off what we know from the TV series combined with what we know from the books and the hints towards the books. Uh, but he's just living under assumed identity. So he's not really a bastard because of the legitimization of the marriage. But had they not gotten the minister, to the, the septon to, to null and void his first marriage and Rhaegar's second marriage being accepted as legitimate, then John would have been a bastard because he would have been born out of, you know, in a, an illicit relationship. But that's that's me. Sam, What what do you want to say? I don't have too much to say. I, I I agree that the whole bastardy thing is so dumb. Like I don't like obviously like if you if you're born you're born. You should be able to get whatever. Like I don't think it should be a thing. But you know this is Game of Thrones, so of course that the whole bloodlines are pure and all that kind of stuff. Which I actually find it funny that they still bring up bloodlines being pure because if you're going back centuries, none of those bloodlines are pure anymore. So you're kind of shit out of luck when it comes to that. So, but. I, I think it always cre- it creates a story and it makes the story really good. So like it creates good TV and so like that's always good. But uh, yeah, it's obviously a pretty pretty uh, chaotic, barbaric idea that, that bastards can't be kings or queens or lords and ladies and whatnot. So what about you, Uzma? 
what's the worst part of pastros is they consider uh, bastards to be wild creatures like uh, if someone is a bastard they are just wild in nature they are they cannot be good people that's what the general thought is in pastros even if bastards can be legitimized uh, yes they maybe they can be accepted but uh, that's what people normally thinks but it shouldn't matter because uh, bastards can gain power uh, and as uh, in the books even rob legitimizes john before his death so if john survives maybe he will be able to gain power and become uh, a lord if he survives and um, in house of the dragon it, the we all know that uh, renira is uh, renira has bastards but there is no proof they are still considered as valarian children but uh, if only they had looked a little more like uh, lenor uh, or renira alison won't have any strong grounds to cause any trouble uh, the only reason uh, she can say uh, that egon uh, should be king is because uh, she can she is uh, basing her uh, claims on renira's bastards that she has bastards and if she gain if she if she gains the throne uh, her the throne will go to the bastards and that's why she wants aegon to be king but if even without that renira didn't have any stronger claim but that all also gives her support many lords will support her instead of renira because of that as for robert he did have many bastards and do you think he really loved his children because he never paid much attention to them the only one he did try to help was maya stone he tried to bring her to king's landing but it was only after sarsi threatened to kill her that's when she he agreed to stay away from her could it could that be the reason why he stayed away from all of his bastards what do you guys think Yeah, I could see it. Makes sense. Cersei was would definitely would definitely do that. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think he was an absentee father. I mean, he he felt obligated to pay the mothers of his many many bastards, but that was it as far as his interest really went. He didn't even pay much attention to Joffrey, and yeah. Yeah, real talk. Like Robert Baratheon as a whole. was a great soldier and terrible at everything else. <laughs> terrible king, <laughs> ter- terrible father, terrible accountant, terrible friend. Je- je- a terrible husband. <laughs> you know, so you know, I think like if if he decided um to keep her um to keep the rest of his um out of wedlock children away from King's Landing. I think that was like the clock striking that one time. <laughs> you know. <clears throat> I don't know if he he would have done it on purpose, but yeah. But I don't know. There's a lot about Bobby B that they don't really tell, like, you know. True. Again, great warrior, horrible at everything else. Also, one of the main reasons why Lyanna didn't want to marry Robert was because of Maya Stone. She had heard about his bastard and that's the reason why she didn't want to marry robert and she told ned that robert would never keep to one bed very true 
Well, that is our love and lore segment. Uh, moving on, we have the dragons in the details, where Constance and Uzma will be going over small details you may have missed in the episode, as well as the fantastic costumes, props, and sets used. After you, Constance and Uzma. All right. Let's take a look at what we've got, some nice little details that we picked out in this episode. Go ahead, Uzma. The very first scene I want to discuss is Eamon claiming Vegar. When he tried to uh, fly on Vegar's back, you can see what happened. He almost flew off of Vegar. So you can see he's barely holding on with all his power to the reins. So it's not easy to ride a dragon. And that's why I had problem with John just riding Vegar without anything, just scales. It's not that, that easy to hold on. You can see he's barely just hanging on and that's why i love this scene so much because in the books it's described that they have to not only ride the saddles they have to buckle in a bell they have to use belts and hold on tight only just to stay on a, a dragon's back what do you think about this conscience oh yeah i i thought this was an appropriate way to show that it's not easy riding a dragon especially one as big and as fast as as Vagar is the fact that he has to hold on like with every inch of his little tiny being is just fun and then he has that rewarding moment when he finally climbs into the saddle and he's got just look control. at his face he's so happy he's <laughs> like that poor kid you know he was the only one of his kin without a dragon except his cousin uh and so for him to finally master this this great massive old powerful legendary beast is such a achievement for him after being given you know like the pink dread as his mount <laughs> you know to claim one of the original three is really impressive and the next thing we look at is more dragons now this is a great <laughs> shot of all the different dragons as they come sailing into um driftmark for the funeral service uh, and I, Usman and I have a disagreement as to the order of the dragons and who we're looking at here. Um, I, I was watching the video and they said that the one that she labeled as Malleus is actually Syrax. The one she labeled Syrax is actually Sunfire. The one in the gray in the center there is Sea Smoke, which makes sense. I think we could all agree on that because it's the right color. Caraxis, we all agree on because look at his funny little legs. Long neck. <laughs> little on the long neck. It's obviously Caraxis, you could tell that no matter what. And then the last one up there, I believe, is Melis, who is uh, Princess Rainice's dragon. But you could just see them kind of chilling, and you get an idea about the size of the different dragons, where based on the size of the rocks, based on the size of the castle, you can kind of see that these are all medium-sized dragons. None of these are that big. The reason I thought this one uh, was sea, the one on the top uh, left is sea, sea Smoke is because the dragon we saw on the during the war uh, when Lenor rode mm -hmm. uh, in uh, on the crabs and uh, they that dragon looked uh, kind of like uh, similar to this color. Uh, he looked very different from a different angle, but in one angle, uh, it looked like that. And that's why I thought this was uh, sea smoke. Okay. And as for Cyrex, he had kind of like greenish, yellowish color. And we can see green and yellow on this one, on the bottom right one. That's why I thought this was Cyrex. What do you guys think, uh, Solar? You know, any opinions? Honestly, 
I have a really hard time telling a lot of the dragons apart, except for Karaxis, Um, primarily yeah. because it was easy in the other show because there was only three. And in this one, we <laughs> start colored. off with two. And then they introduce another one every single week. I mean, we got Karaxis and Cyrex and Sunfire and Sea Smoke, dope hmm. name. Don't get me wrong. Um and I'm kind of going, all right, all right. I, I like the way that they're setting this up. But, yeah, the names are starting to get confusing. Although I am a really big fan of how different they look um, when I can make the color out on my TV. <laughs> that, 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 that's a big thing. <laughs> what do you think, Sam? Uh, I'm kind of like with Solar on this. I have a very hard time distinguishing whose <laughs> dragon is what and who's who. But... I mean, to me, this list looks looks pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, the one in the top left, I feel like, is the hardest to figure out because it's way, way up there. So I yeah. feel like maybe that's the only one yeah. that could be switched around. But again, I couldn't even tell you who I'd switch it with because I have no idea. <laughs> so <laughs> There's only Dreamfire and yeah. Vagar left, I think. Yeah. They're not in the Obviously, screen. Obviously, Vagar, we would notice because he's big. Yeah. big. yeah, he'd be honking around for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So it could be either uh, maybe Dreamfire or Sea Smoke. Hard to say. And then we have three dragons returning. Yeah. Yeah. So these are all headed back to King's Landing. So that means we know that it's not going to be Caraxes. It's not going to be Sea Smoke. And it's not going to be Cyrax or Melis. So that leaves Vagar, Dreamfire, and Sunfire. And we can recognize Vegar, and as for the others, we only have two dragon riders, yeah. Aegon and Hel- Princess Helena. Yeah. So it has to be their dragon. I only based the dragons on based on the dragon riders. Oh, yeah, process of elimination. We know who stayed behind it. We know who stayed behind at the castle. <laughs> because it's really hard to tell which dragon. Yeah, they are. Yeah, but no, those are all our dragons. And then we have Lenor's, uh, Lenor faking his death scene. So, at first, uh, when the first time I watched it, I thought it was the guard that was standing next to Lenore that uh, they threw in the fire. But when I watched it for the second time, then I realized, no, it they can't use that guard to be his uh, <laughs> dead body because he was really short. So, uh, the person they needed to fake his death with had to be of the same height and same skin color. So, we, in the scene... Uh, we see uh, Raymond catch that guard and snap his neck. So that guard died that very instant. Damon killed him on the spot by snapping his neck. And after that, when uh, he went to meet Carl Corey, uh, that guard behind him uh, that who went off running. And then they threw his body in the fire. But I don't... It, this is something I have a little bit of a problem with, that d- during the time he ran away and alerted everyone else, uh, they had to bring in the dead body, switch clothes with Lenore, and throw the body in the fire long enough for the face and hand to burn. Because the legs were intact, only the face and hands were burned so much that it was beyond recognition. So do you think they had enough time to pull it off? Because... It's really hard to believe that they will take take this long to reach the hall. I think it's dramatic license in that case. 
<laughs> it's it's a good story, you know. So the the rule of cool comes into play here, uh, because mm-hmm. it it does it, the fire the face was completely burned. There was nothing left. Yeah. Uh, to identify him with, and yeah, the page boy goes running. Shouldn't take him that long to find the guards, but you know it's entirely pop. Yeah. And then that's even the question though. Corliss asks, "How did this happen in my great hall?" He even mm-hmm. asks the question, "How did this happen?" So I think that uh, they probably the guards probably weren't around, and they may have had the time to do the body switch really quick, and then just throw them into a really hot blazing fire, and you know hope for the best. Best. Do you think maybe Lenor uh, sent them away or something? Maybe. Like maybe they were used to secretly meeting. Uh, Lenore and Carl's yeah, meeting. kind of giving them space. That would explain why it took uh, them so long to reach Possibly. here. Possibly, or it, again, it could just be narrative. It could just be for the sake of the narrative that they had enough yeah. time. Because in the books, we don't. This does not happen in the books. It just says that Carl kills Lenore in a duel, but there's no mention of a body being pulled out of the fire. But so. that was just a rumor. Which is That's the rumor. what I'm going yeah. for. <laughs> I still think it's possible in the books because we know this is George we are talking yeah. about. Remember uh, in the in our very first episode when we discussed whose version was mm-hmm. true one, and uh, we mentioned we discussed how it's George R. Martin. So it's very much possible that uh, the truth can turn out to be something completely different than what we have been told so yeah, far. Yeah, everything <laughs> we know is from a historical perspective, right? Everything's being told. It's a story that's being told by a maester or a septon. So they don't know the full story. They just know what was said or what may have been done, but they don't know all the yeah, details. Yeah, the books are basically just a collection of rumors. Yeah, and, and this is the confirmation <laughs> of one of those rumors, which I think was rather sweet. But we'll get to the whole thing about Lenor later when we get into the big discussion. What do we have next, Constance? Uh, we're looking at some just a little cute detail on the banners of the uh, Valarian family. Everything is topped with a little fishtail. And if you look at the seahorse, you can see that it's got a little fishtail there, which is visible in this picture. And then that's the topper yeah. on their banners and their torches. So you can see there's the little fishtail. Yeah. And then also on these uh, torches, you've got the same motif of the fishtail there again as well. And oh, must we zoom in on those terrible, terrible costumes? Those terrible cloaks. <laughs> I hate those. Yeah, look, it's like they got the trim for these cloaks at Joanne's off the bargain rack. It's just so cheap, but that's just my, it's like the, the worst costuming outside of the baby's baptismal gown that they bought somewhere at the mall. Uh, but anyways, moving on. Poor girls, they probably couldn't bring in their dresses and everything. <laughs> they just had to give yeah, them just whatever these they had. Throw these cloaks on over your clothes. <laughs> there, costume, done. You know, you're starting yeah. to sound like the queen of needles over here with all the shade you're throwing on the costume. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure you're not a Tyrell? I'm just, just saying. <laughs> I, I do associate with House Tyrell. That is my house of choice. So who knows? Uh <laughs> let's let's go on. I think we're going to look at one of the dragons, right? Yeah, we're going to look at Vagar here. So, um, during the scenes, uh, when you brighten it up a little bit, uh, you can see that Vagar has a lot of injuries on his body. And you can see there's a huge cut on his head. Look how big he uh, is. In the se- yeah. And then there are more uh, slashes or uh, across his neck. 
you can see more cuts across uh, Vegard's neck and then there are holes in his wings it kind of reminds me of Viserys's holes but at least Viserys was an undead and here you can see clearly the huge holes in his wings do you think it's from the conquest uh, or uh, it could be something else oh i definitely think it's conquest related uh i think these are really old he's a really old dragon these are really old wounds i mean we haven't had any current con he hasn't been in any current conflict and even if you look at his tail doesn't it look like his tail is a little bit cut off yeah yeah i i think i think these are all old wounds from a war dragon that's why he is so maimed <laughs> so hurt and injured yeah and what do we have next? We're going to look at some of the costuming here. Uh, we've got these beautiful black velvets that Ra that Rhaenys is wearing. It's a beautiful black blue velvet. Uh, again, she wears lots of blue. That is the Valarian house color. She's in full mourning. Uh, she's got a cloak on with de beautiful uh, embroidery details. And uh, you can see here that it's just this, this gorgeous over over wrap piece that she's got pinned with this uh, gold and um, sapphire brooch it's just a beautiful velvet beautiful absolutely beautiful velvet and you can see that without it she's got a again blue velvet with a embroidered four panel a little bit of a pauldrons on the shoulders and this neat little crocheted lace neckline uh, she's wearing her one of her favorite necklaces that we've seen in a couple other shots so it's just a beautiful little, a beautiful little comfortable dress that she's wearing. She hasn't changed after the funeral. Uh, and there she is with another shot of that gorgeous velvet brocade cloak. And there's the, the girls, the, gir the poor girls with those terrible black shroud costumes that they just threw on with some quick trim. And there's a Septon with the boys in their cloaks. You know, they, they just basically threw cloaks on over the kids for this episode and said we're done. Uh, the last thing we're going to look at is the wedding of uh, Damon and Rhaenyra in traditional Valarian dress. Valer Valarian dress, not Valerian. You know, this is, this is the, the nation, not the house. Uh, you can tell because it's extremely similar in style to the costumes that we've seen worn by the Valarian dragon tamers in the dragon pit with the different layers and the crisscross and the banded belts. Uh, so you can tell that this is definitely a cultural style that's similar. They're standing in front of an altar that's covered in candles and they're drinking out of a communal cup. They uh, And the wedding ceremony, as per the books, says that a Valarian wedding ceremony involves fire and blood, as is the tradition of the Targaryens. So there's lots of blood in this ceremony. Uh, they cut their lips with a piece of obsidian dragon glass. They mark their foreheads with the blood, and then they seal their hands together, blood bound, wrap it with a with a cloth, as is very common in a hand fasting ceremony, and then they seal their troth with a kiss while their blood mingles. And in this case, it's a binding of the blood for strength, because you know they're again they're marrying one to the other in the traditional old house fashion. And this is a very different rite than the rite of the seven. This is a very old, very, uh, I guess the word pagan would probably be what they would consider it to be in relation to the faith of the seven being the premier faith. And you can even see the vestments that the, uh, the priest is wearing are similar to the vestments that were being worn during the funerary ceremony. So this is a very old sort of ceremony that's being performed here uh, for the two of them to be blood bonded. And they've got that, that kind of cream with the red ombre 
And then she's wearing a headdress with uh, bronze discs and a peaked beadwork crest and then tassels down the side, which is just really kind of cool. Uh, but that's that for uh, the dragon is in the details. Let's go back to you, Sam. Awesome. Thanks so much. Uh, next, we have our Raven's Eye segment where Solar will be talking about the cinematography and directorial choices made and how they affected the episode. To you, Solar. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Raven's Eye. Now, this episode, I really want to focus on one scene. It happens to be the opening scene, but it really, really sets the tone cinemat- uh, cinemagraphically for the rest of the episode, and that is our funeral. <laughs> um, we open up, of course, in... Um, Um, the realms of Corliss Valerian. You know, this is far away from King's Landing. So it very much shows from the start that they are essentially the main characters of this episode, regardless of whoever else we're looking at. But this was a funeral full of awkwardness. So, so awkward. Now, we follow the camera or the camera follows three specific characters. Okay. Specifically Damon, Renera, and I believe it was Luke, um, through the funeral. And this is a very interesting set of, um, set of choices. Of course, Renera is looking at the funeral from a standpoint of, you know, these are kin, but they're not kind. You know, they're they're not exactly, um, we ain't close, but I'm here. And it's also very dangerous. Um, through Renera's point of view, we can very much see the divisions between the greens and the blacks. Because you got the Hightowers and Alisaint's people over here all kind of buzzing around the king. In all their, you know, black augmented with green, but mainly green, um, to say, yeah, we're at a funeral, but you know, we still rolling deep. We still got our colors going. Um, and of course, we have a desperate moment within Rhaenyra's point of view where she starts looking for her kids. <laughs> like, where are my children? Um, everything about the camera work from her point of view is very restrained yet frightened. Like, we can very much see, and it makes the audience feel very unsafe in where they are. Now, when we take a look at the camera following Damon's point of view, um, how can I put it? Young Amon, no, young Aegon did most of the drinking, but the real bitter drunkness was coming from Damon. <laughs> um, everything about Matt Smith's performance and point of view from his leaning to his kind of, you know, when he was, do- when he was Dr. Who, I always liked how he had the cranky old man face. You know, he could, he could do grumpy old man very well. Um, and in this one, the only thing that you could see through Damon was these fucking people, you know, the entire time, (laughs) um, when he looked at his brother, when he, you know, the only people that you can tell he didn't have that Malkovichian kind of disdain for were his children 
<laughs> until um, Princess Rayway walked in. And he's like, oh, she made it. Okay. But God, these fucking people. You know, that, that was everything around him. But then when we follow, um, I believe it was Luke or J- I always get I always get the Tarstrongians um, confused. Um, let me check my notes here. Um, um, the younger, the the younger Tarstrongian. Um, I believe his name is I. Yeah, Luke. You know, when we're following Luke. And Luke's fun conversation with Corliss, okay? This was a very interesting thing. When we look through Luke and Jace's eyes, where Jace is framed very, very, very solitarily. You know, as soon as we find him, he's standing alone. He's not talking. He's not talking with anybody. You don't have the old aunties talking about how big he's gotten. Nobody's pinching his cheeks. He's just standing alone waiting for everything to be over. And then when he gets essentially assigned to go talk to his cousins, um, you could see that there is kind of a closeness there. Like, you know, there is a familial bond. Um, closer than anyone else there. But the moment that he starts to leave, um, his elder cousin grabs his hand like, no, don't leave me. And he's like, oh, uh, okay, I'll be here. And then grandma shows up and he dips like he's like he was a chip in um, around salsa. But then when we follow Luke, I believe it's Luke, the younger one, um, when he's talking with Corliss and Corliss is like, you know, your brother's going to be king. All this is going to be yours. You should respect the water. The sea is good. And this is going to be all yours. And he's like, I don't want it. I, I don't really want it. I can't talk to nobody because I'm more than my real dad. But as long as you're asking, if I'm the Lord of this place, that means everybody is dead. Because, um... I'm a lot smarter than a lot of people give me credit for, and I don't want this job. <laughs> I really don't want this job. And um, it was very telling because once he said that, and we had the smash cut to Corliss's face, we have very much a moment of, he wasn't supposed to know that this young. Like, what's this kid seeing? <laughs> you know, he was very surprised at the wisdom um, that was coming out of this kid. So, um, as we follow more and more characters, like, oh God, Prince Aegon, um, Aegon and Aemon, you know, having their drinks and talking their crap toward each other. Um, and I think it was really from the perspective of Damon on that one. Like Damon is looking at those two pretty much acting the same way that he would have been acting had it been anybody else's funeral. Um, And I noticed that the scenes were framed up to where with these three perspectives, you can really see what everyone is kind of, I'm not going to say what everyone is going through, but like, had that scene been watched through Rhaenyra's eyes, it would have come off a bit differently. They, They would have been directed in more of a sinister kind of plotting way and opposed to mischievous dumbasses. Um, specifically, specifically Aegon. Um, 
you know, I'm sorry that I missed you guys last week because I wanted to make a joke about how that window is just the worst window in King's Landing, you know, <laughs> you know, but, um, but yeah, so, um, and then of course, um, from Corliss's point of view that he's kind of sharing with Renero, we finally see Lanor just kind of standing in the water, drunk mourning his sister, feeling like an idiot. And in this one, there was very much an undertone of Corliss Valerian saying everything that Renera couldn't, you know, or more to the point, everything that she should had she not just washed her hands of it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, because Corliss is really big on keeping up the appearance. Renera is about keeping up the appearance, but she's like, ah, well, what you gonna do? Um, and so, um, then it, it, it really transitions to what I call the sunset bedding, where as soon as the sun goes away, everybody gets sent to bed. Just, just go to bed. It's getting dark. Like no wake, no potato salad, you know, not, none like that. Just, just, just the darkness is coming. Y'all need to go, you know? And that's really, you know, and of course, from then on, that's where we hear the screeching and um, Eamon leaves the funeral, um, setting us up with one of the most interesting cut scenes that have been in this show, where after um, Damon and Renera have their little get down, it cuts directly to Eamon. And I'm like, what did he see? Oh, oh no, no, he's on a different part of the beach. He's okay. All right, we got. We, I, this isn't a brand moment. Okay, we, we're kind of good about that. Um, so yeah, the point of views and the distance between the characters, with the camera leaving the audience very guarded and curious, it really drew us in to, I guess you can say, a lonely intimacy through the camera through the camera work. You know what I mean? Like we felt like we were there and we were unwelcome. <laughs> um, at least that's what I was getting out of it. Like, what are your thoughts on this, Sam? You're laughing a lot. No, I mean, I, like you said it in the very beginning when you said it was like so uncomfortable and I complete, I completely agree. I feel like I was sitting there like kind of chuckling at all the side eyeing and all the like just little quips here and there, like even Veyman's speech when he was like, it was supposed to be for Lena, but he was essentially just like throwing shit at Rhaenyra being like, yeah, there's salt in our blood. Wink, wink. Like it's, yeah, the whole thing was just so like, oh God. But also it was like, it was almost like watching like shitty reality TV, right? Like basically like <laughs> just. <laughs> it makes sense why Damon laughed at that time. <laughs> right, exactly. And it just felt like I was watching like Real Housewives and they were like, one of them was like, I can't believe they did that. Like, you, oh, it was so good. <laughs> yeah, and you got good old Rhaenyra, like, you know, you have to tell everybody that you're okay, but really deep down you're not. And you yeah. want to have sex with your uncle and it's not okay. Right, <laughs> exactly. And him being like, we should be we should be going and in, in, uh, mourning real dad. And she's like, shut up, it's not your real dad. It's not your real dad. Like, oh my gosh, it's so bad. <laughs> yeah Constance what's your take on this uh, I noticed a lot of awkward silences with long shots mm -hmm. which just kind of drew out the whole disconnect between everybody like they visually captured the distance 
and the silence. And that really stood out to me during that whole segment was just how well that they telegraphed everybody being spaced out. And I, if I understand correctly, that was one of the first scenes they ever shot. So at that point, the actors didn't have any familial bonds with each other. They hadn't really fully developed their internal characterizations at that point. So it kind of is, was a good starting point because that lack of connection for the actors translated into the characters. So I think that was an appropriate way to start off the, the filming. Yeah, so Uzma. What stood out the most to me was the looks that crossed between Rhaenyra and Alison. Like uh, <laughs> when Rhaenyra came in, she looked at Damon and uh, there was a look that crossed between Damon and uh, Rhaenyra. And then uh, she looked that uh, Alicent was looking at me and she was like, oh no, she saw me. <laughs> and <laughs> and she went straight to Jace after that. <laughs> and then there was Jace brooding about his father's death that we should be mourning too. <laughs> we also lost, <laughs> uh, like I lost a father as well. And then she sent him to uh, his cousins to like uh, to give consolation. And uh, the way uh, she held out his hand, it felt like Bela could sense uh, that Jace was also sad. And it it felt the opposite, like Bela was trying to console Jace at that time. <laughs> Am I the only one who felt that way? Oh, no, 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 no. That was that's yeah. a really big observation there, because you could you could definitely tell that those cousins were close, although they pretty much spent their time living in Pentos, you know, Um yeah, I, 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 I definitely saw the familial bond in that. Um, there were a couple of a couple of lines in this one that I have to I have to point out because yeah, um, one because you got the black dude saying there's salt in our veins and the palest of pale people are like yeah we don't like salt so I had to put that out there it was just it was there I'm like okay cool at least they're not talking about spices um, but you know there was bland potato salad at that wake if there was going to be one so that there was that and um, and the the biggest the biggest camera following that really stood out to me which is why I left this until last was. The silent conversation between Princess Ray Ray and Princess Nisi. <laughs> um, when when um, when Princess Rainice just walked right toward Renera, plucked a drink, looked at her like mm-hmm, and then walked away. I'm just like, why is this woman not queen? <laughs> why why is she not queen? Because she she very much. I've had a lot of family reunions over the course of my time, and it was very much that look of, you know, I know everything, and I just don't have time for your <laughs> foolishness, you know. And as she, you goes, better control you know, yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> did you guys see the same thing, or is it just me being tired? I'm not sure. The look definitely looked like uh, she was saying, telling her to control herself. <laughs> like, uh, Damon, uh, like uh, she was practically revolving around Damon. <laughs> like uh, she went there, then looked at Damon. Then she went left, she looked at Damon. <laughs> she couldn't keep her just, eyes off of Damon. <laughs> she has no discretion, woman. She has none. She has no discretion. <laughs> Hey, like I like I said in the opening, Rainey's is over everyone's shit, including Rainiera. <laughs> yeah, you know, she's like, keep it in your damn pants, okay, for just two minutes. Like, my God, she was just yeah. so angry the whole time. 
She has the and she wave. has yeah, she has the best yeah. side eye. Like side eye of of the series 100% so good. Seriously, I almost think that she was a red wine or something cuz yeah, you know, cuz <laughs> that whole look was like, you know, back off Uncle Touchy until after my daughter's funeral type thing. <laughs> so <laughs> So yeah, but that does it for this this episode of The Raven's Eye. Um, there was a lot of quick cutting and a lot of not not a whole lot of visual storytelling um, in this one, and compared to the other episodes, but there was a lot of dialogue. And I thought about talking about the editorial choices, but I'm like, nah, the rest of YouTube is going to be doing that. So, you know. So yeah, back to you, Sam. Awesome, thank you, Solar. <laughs> Uh, and now for our main segment, Fire and Blood, where the whole council digs into some of the biggest moments that came up from the episode. And I have a couple questions here for y'all, and we're going to start with how do you feel about Laner's happy ending, considering how other queer and gay characters are treated? Constance, we'll start with you. I was so happy. I actually cried a little. I mean... Uh, I I just didn't expect that Rhaenyra would care for him enough to let him go and find happiness, considering she knows that she'll never truly be happy as long as she has to deal with the threats of being heir. She's basically giving him f- pure freedom. And she, I guess, probably the way that we you know what happened with joffrey was just so tragic and just the way that uh loris and renly had their relationship it's just really nice to see a gay couple live happily ever after in a song of ice and fire and it was just a really beautiful ending i was not expecting it i was expecting either a double cross like damon killing carl to make sure there's no witnesses. Uh, but as soon as Lanar jumped in that boat, you know, sans white Valarian hair, I'm like, oh, and then I cried. So I was very happy that they decided to, to you know, use the rumor of his death and show his death, but then tell us that he got, he got away in the end. So that was very, very moving and a very nice directorial decision, in my opinion. But uh, Uzma, what was your thoughts? What, how did you like the end? I loved it. When I read the books, I was a little bit confused. Like, if I thought if he really loved uh, Lenore, why would he kill her, uh, kill him, even if Damon gave him money or everything? So I always assumed that he was kind of like Shay in the books with Tyrion, that he was only in it for money. But when I watched the show, it felt like they, what they had was real, that he re- truly loved him. And then when the scene happened, when he was running towards the boat, uh, when Carl was running towards the about uh, i was like okay he's running away and then uh, another person joined in so i got a little bit confused like who is this and then when the hood <laughs> went up i was like wow <laughs> i was practically screamed i was so happy that they finally got away and they had their happy ending because as you said earlier uh, the gay, uh, like the queer characters don't get a happy ending in this series so it was a really nice and beautiful Although I'm a little bit worried, would he be, uh, uh, like, what would he feel once he hears about the war, once it starts? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe he'd feel a little guilty for not being there for his family, because it was truly obvious that he cared 
for the concept of family. You know, it wasn't that these yeah. are my blood children, these are my children, period. Which was a really nice uh, way of him. I think this was Rhaenyra's way of thanking him because he was mm-hmm. ready to sacrifice everything yeah. for her and to devote himself completely to her. So this was her way of saying thank you. What do you think, Solar? Honestly, I when I saw the episode on Sunday, I was like, you know what? Well played. Because it's about to get ugly here. Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) It it was really good. Like, this show is really pushing us as the audience to really root for the Targaryens in this civil war. Because um, this was a real act of good. You know, I'm right there with you when... They had that conversation, the character moment. Man, I wish Morgan was here for that. Um, (laughs) Where, you know, the funniest joke in the episode was said with the, I should have been there. Yeah, those should really be our house words. Um, (laughs) You know, and he's going, you know, I've been failing everybody. I messed up and I got to get my shit together. So we going to do this. And she's like, oh, honey, too little, too late. But I got you. Because I've always liked you. <laughs> and, you know, you. Um, I think that I, I'm with Uzma in thinking that that wasn't, I, that that was her way of saying thank you. But I think it was something a little more too. It was, um, you know, in the mob, it goes against the rules of the mob in movies to kill civilians, you know. And she's like. This dude ain't about the Game of Thrones. <laughs> he ain't about power. <laughs> you know, he ain't in this. And to kill him would just be cruelty. You know, but we got to get rid of him, you know. And the Golden Company ain't coming around for another, what, 100 years? So, uh, yeah, uh, got to do something. And, um, yeah, I, I thought that that was really good. And it was good to see, like, I haven't felt that good about the end of a Game of Thrones episode um, or an episode in this universe and part of this franchise since Arya got her pony at the bar. When Arya got her pony and the hound got five chickens, I'm like, all right, that that's that that's a good ending. You know, yeah, that that's every fucking chicken. Yeah. <laughs> every every fucking you know, chicken. That that was how I felt. I'm like, you know what? Good for them, because Every family has that kid that just should not be in the family business. And he was very much the Fredo Corleone of, of the Valerian house, you know? And he was like, nah, I'm just kind of getting out. Uh, um, King consort. Yeah, sure. Whatever. Um, I, I guess, you know, I'm gonna go drinking with my boys and my boy, you know? And so the fact that he got the happy romantic ending, I believe the only happy romantic ending in this entire set of stories so far um yeah 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 i mean i can't really think of anyone else that had their happily ever after in any of the books or the shows so yeah i was kind of happy to see that i guess that was like the writers going all right you get one you get you you stuck with us through eight (laughs) seasons and seven episodes of a new show here's one here's one there you go Maybe maybe Samuel Tarly and Gilly. Maybe. Okay. Um that's that's fair. I I, I counter that with the fact that he became a full-fledged maester and he became grandmaster. So 
he had True. to leave her back True. at the house. So they didn't get a well, happy ending. They just didn't die. <laughs> True. He could have been having a, like have her at a house though in King's Landing. Like I'm sure they probably let him have. Oh, I'm sure he kept yeah. her, a kept woman. <laughs> I'm sure she would have been actually happy about that kind <laughs> yeah. of situation though. All right, moving on to our next question, and this was one that had come up a lot on the internet that I noticed, and it was, "Do you think that Aemon stole Vagar?" Um, Uzma, we'll start with you because you kind of brought this question up before. <laughs> This is a really hard question. Technically, no, since uh, Vegar didn't have any rider uh, at that point, and uh, so it was not uh, stealing, but it was still wrong. It was the day uh, it the funeral hadn't uh, barely has barely ended. Uh, everyone just went to bed, and uh, her daughters uh, missed their mothers, and Vegar was kind of like a part of their mother for them because uh, it was like uh, having their mother around and uh, Amon did uh, steal that from them. Uh, they didn't try to claim Vegar because they were probably waiting for the funeral to be over. Maybe uh, the next day they would have tried to claim Vegar. Uh, but uh, they didn't get this chance because uh, Amon stole that chance from them. Maybe he didn't steal Vegar, but he stole the chance to for one of them to have to claim Vegar. So that's my answer. What do you think, Constance? Well, I think you know it's kind of sad that that he would do that at the funeral, right? Like too soon, man. Too soon. Yeah. You know, it's it's one of those things where the baby, you know, they 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 should have had a chance to mourn the griefing process, and then someone go for the dragon, right? It just felt really cheesy that they would he would do that. You know, I know he was desperate for a dragon, and he <laughs> felt the pressure of being the only one without one. I mean, all his other brothers, his cousins, they all had dragons and they gave him shit for it, obviously, you know, the pink dread. But too soon, man, too soon. It was disrespectful. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Solar, how about you? Hmm. You know, I, I saw this question and I'm more with Uzma on this one. Um, I don't think that he stole it. I, I do not think that he stole the dragon. Um, but my reasons for that is dragons have free will. He didn't fool the dragon. You know, um, that dragon chose him. Um, now, True. granted, the dragon didn't have much else to choose from because of the timing. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> was it stealing? No. Was it a dick move? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. However, exactly. I can even forgive mm. that because it was from a kid. You know, a kid that didn't get the seriousness of it. And um, it's kind of hard to expect a child not to be selfish, especially a child that's raised to be selfish. And he has always been impulsive. Like he jumped into the dragon. Yeah. Cave. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't think that he stole the dragon. I think... He stole anyone else's chance to befriend the dragon. 
But then when I think about that, I'm like, why weren't those little girls like talking to the dragon when their mom was alive? You know, they, they, they could have been cultivating a relationship with the dragon just like they were doing so with their mom. So I don't think they could have. I don't think that matters. Yeah. No, because the lore says that a dragon only bonds to one writer Mm. during that, during the dragon, during the writer's lifetime. One at a time. So one at a time. Exactly. So they couldn't have really cultivated a relationship with the dragon while their mother was alive. Because as far as they were concerned, well, you're not, you're not, you're not the boss of me. I don't give a shit. Yeah. yeah, They're like cats. They they really are. Like, you're not the one feeding me. So, you know, but yeah, so yeah, whatever. the fact that um, he went and talked to the dragon that was sitting there and the dragon was like, oh, you going to feed me now? You know, um, so I don't I, I really don't think that that was theft. I'm not even kidnapping, but it it was a dick move because that's what kids do. Yeah, that's fair enough. What about you, Sam? I'm kind of in the same camp. I don't think I don't think he stole Vagar. I think uh, it wasn't, you know, I think part of uh, Amon's like. Obviously, he wanted a dragon, but at the same time, I think it was also the fact that it was a like the Valarion's dragon as well. And I think, you know, he's been bullied by Rhaenyra's kids, and like they're kind of you know they're cousins and friends with like the Valerian kids. So I think that there was a little bit of that in him too. That was like, well, I'm gonna definitely put my middle fingers in the air doing this, and like, <laughs> I, but. If anything, I think he was just opportunistic. Like, there probably wasn't going to be a lot of opportunity for him to actually go for Vagar. And like we said, like, Vagar is very much a free will. So, like, if he wanted to, he chose, he he also chose Aemon during this time as well. So, like, while Vagar might have been mourning, he still decided to choose a new writer. So, I am with the, I don't think he stole. I think it was more opportunistic dick move i think so but definitely opportunistic for sure now am i the only one of us here that could not help but hear the soundtrack from the never-ending story during that scene <laughs> <laughs> now i cannot cannot unhear that. <laughs> i just saw him on top of that and all i could think was yeah oh my god oh my god I'm waiting to see, like, you know, the Tarstrongians and, and the other Targaryen, like, jump into a trash can, you know? <laughs> uh, well, on that note, our next question. <laughs> what was going on in Rhaenyra's head when she proposed to Damon? Solar? Real talk, desperation, nostalgia, and opportunity. You know, she knows that the Strongs are not the strong. I keep, I've been saying the Strongs all day. Uh, she knows that the Greens are gathering forces, and Damon is such a force to be reckoned with that just by being around, he's a weapon. Like he, in and of himself, is a weapon of mass destruction. Um, in the sense of, oh God, she got him. Okay, all right, we got to rethink our strategies because we don't. He's like having the Joker on your team, you know. Um. So I think she saw the political opportunities and again, that childhood crush going on like, hey, you hurting, I'm hurting. And um, my loyal guardsman, you know, um, not not Sir Hot Pants of Turncoat, but my other one um, (laughs) got sent home and burned alive. So, you know, I know you're pretty hot and you're immune to fire. So what's up? Um. But mainly, I think it was nostalgia and political opportunity. That, that's where my head was. 
Constance? Um, I want to say she did. She was thinking out of lust and out of a desperate need for security. She had just lost the one constant in her life for 10 years, the, the man that was there for her when she needed someone. Because it was kind of clear that Lenore wasn't really there for her. And that kind of like the too little too late conversation they had, I should have been there, kind of hints at that. And so she's hurting. She needs something familiar, something comfortable, something stable. But at the same time, she needs the danger, the thrill of it, the, the, she needs the fire. Laner was water. Damon is pure fire. Ooh. Unpredictable, dangerous, volatile. And so she was drawn to that. She's always been drawn to that side of him, that, that devil may care kind of calloused, chaotic nature. And she had just lost all stability in her life, so she just embraced the chaos. That's that's what I think. Uzma, how about you? Uzma? I agree with both Constance and Solar. Uh, because I think she gained three things from that. Uh, it was more than just about love, but it was also more than just about political arrangement. She, uh, so she gained... Um, she, uh, first, she got to marry the person uh, she loved. Second, she strengthened her claim to the throne because uh, uh, if everyone was questioning, uh, like you could see see how scared she was when Aegon said, "Everyone knows. Just look at them." She looked really terrified in that moment. So, by marrying uh, Damon, she strengthened strengthened the claim to the throne because she was marrying the king's brother. Um, so. It was uh, a political play there as well. And uh, the third, as Solar said, uh, that he, Damon was a force to be reckoned with. He, she, he was a powerful man uh, and a powerful ally to have with her. And by with him by her side, she won't be so weak. She will be able to face the Greens. Uh, and on top of all of that, she... Um, we have all seen how much she cared about Lenore when she said, uh, you are a very good and honorable man, and it's very rare to find such a man. So she was, in her own way, able to give him his happy ending. So she gained not three, but four things from this one single move. What do you think, Sam? I think there's a lot of layers going on with this relationship. Like, Rhaenyra and Damon obviously have been attracted to each other since episode 1 15 20 years ago however long that is and uh so like that's <laughs> definitely a thing but i think that also rainira kind of like how constance was talking like a lot of like um a lot of constance have like left a lot of like political things are moving right now like she knows that she's in danger she knows that like her you know, her kids are in danger and like their legitimacy is being questioned and what better way than to like scare the shit out of everyone and to marry Damon and his scaly <laughs> dragon Caraxes basically. So like, you know, there's a definitely a into Damon, but definitely like a, I've got a tank now. So 
Like, I think that there was definitely layers to that whole situation. Yeah, because who's going to say anything bad about the woman married to the dude that went around castrating people for breaking the law? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure the only guy that's actually defeated Damon since we've seen so far is Sir Petty. So I don't know how that's all going to go, but yeah. Um, But our final question uh, do you think that Jaceris should inherit the throne after Rhaenyra, even though he is, by Westerosi definition, a bastard? Constance, we'll start with you. Of course. Yeah, of course. Because the line is being traced through her. She is the Targaryen. His blood is Targaryen through her. It has nothing to do with who his father is and everything to do with who has the Targaryen blood. So yeah, he should he should tear it after her, the line of succession running through her blood versus, you know, it's not that he's not getting the throne because he's a Valarian or because he's a strong. He's getting the throne because his mother is Targaryen. That's why. So that's why I think even though the Westerosi definition of it is is pretty clear, like, oh, he's a bastard, therefore he's illegitimate in all things. He's not a bastard when it comes to his lineage of in the important part of his lineage so no i think that he's he's not real technically a bastard honestly i think he should um primarily because we know who his mama is and his mama's the ruler so there we go um you know it was we gave it to joffrey and then tommen so why not right um and simultaneously um, I don't think that his bastardy is a reason not to give him the throne. In truth, I don't, I haven't seen any indication of his competence or incompetence. So <laughs> I got no reason to say no, you know, except for his desire to be at Harrenhal because who wants to live there? <laughs> <laughs> and Uzma, what do you think? Absolutely. Uh, even if we put aside the fact that he's Rhaenyra's son, uh, what other option do we have? Aegon Targaryen compared to him, Jace would definitely be a better king. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, who says they are bastards? Like, where is the proof? Uh, John is a Rhaegar's son, but he uh, they look nothing alike, but they are still father and son. So where's the proof? <laughs> no one can prove it. They are bastards. So t uh, as long as no one can, they are considered legitimate sons. So definitely Jace <laughs> should be on the uh, on the Iron Throne. You know, you sound a lot like King After Viserys the... right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, you know. Except you're not. <laughs> except you're not falling apart. And did you notice that uh, Viserys's arm is now primarily <laughs> amputated from like? the 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 uh, above the elbow mm -hmm. <laughs> he's just rotten away i feel like i feel like they might have made him too decrepit if he's still going to be around for like three more episodes but <laughs> i don't think so i don't think we're going to see too much more of him i think he's on his way out he like he's he's going to look like that uh character in spongebob when they're like the old lady's like, this is my mom. And it's just like a tiny, like, she's just a line of old decrepitness. That's basically Viserys on the last episode. Uh, I can, all I can think of is David Lopan from Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> what about you, Sam? Uh, okay. Don't kick me off the podcast for this. 
but <laughs> only going off of the fact that it's like Westerosi tradition, not a, not my own personal beliefs. I do not think that Jaceres should be uh, king, only because of how Westerosi works with like bastardy and whatnot. Because going off of what we were talking about with Joffrey and Tommen, they shouldn't have been kings either. Um, I do think it shouldn't matter whatever if you're like if if you're tracing it back to whatever you can be king. But because of the whole like I think to keep stability and probably to like keep things kind of going in the way that they should and it would probably clean up a bit of the animosity between Allison and uh and Rhaenyra, I probably would say that Jacer or Jacer shouldn't be king. Um there's someone else who I should, who I do think should be king queen, but we'll save that for later because I don't want to spoil anything. But um, I do think that there is someone else who would be better. Don't think it should be Jaceres or Aegon for that matter. So, <laughs> yeah. Where is the proof? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, we Just can't return your we can't return your heir apparent without a receipt. I'm sorry, yeah. ma'am. Are we really going there? Where's the birth certificate? Are we really gonna go there? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Just keep trying, Sir Lenor. Maybe someday you'll get one that looks like you. <laughs> So well, petty. They're just gonna say it was faked and photoshopped, and you know. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> As they're talking about the deep throne at this point, you see, it's yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the deep throne, the deep royalty. It's all a conspiracy. <laughs> Lizard people from Pentos. <laughs> hey, that's actually real. Okay, let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that is our Fire and Blood segment. Uh, we are moving on to our final segment, Fans of the Dragon, uh, where Uzma and Constance will give us trivia, polls about the World of Ice and Fire, and questions and comments from you, the listeners. All you, Uzma and Constance. Okay, so the poll for this episode is, what was the most shocking moment in episode seven? And... On Twitter, 63.2% uh, people uh, voted for Lenore faking his death. And I think that's because of the book readers. Because most of the book readers didn't see it coming either. And it's the same with YouTube, where 50% people uh, voted for Lenore faking his death. And the same with uh, Facebook, where 71 people voted, yes, 75% people voted for Lenore faking his death. So on Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook, Lenore faking his death wins by a large margin. What do you guys think about it? Oh, I'd say it was the most surprising moment out of yep. the whole thing. I voted for that, so... <laughs> Yeah, I would definitely say that, primarily because it was one of the only moments in this episode that wasn't featured in a preview. Like, it, it really <laughs> blindsided us, you know? A lot, of this, a lot of this first episode was seen in the promo shots and in the original trailers. Mm -hmm. There's even, act, there's even like, action figures or little Funko Pops <laughs> of... There's a Funko Pop of Alicent with the dagger from this episode so we did see a lot of uh not necessarily spoilers but a lot of uh hints of what was going to happen in this one but lanor faking his death was definitely a pleasant surprise 
especially in the world of ice and fire so i think a lot of book readers were uh, waiting for aemon uh, claiming vegar scene so that's why it wasn't that surprising someone even added the option prince luke pitch <laughs> pitch perfect scream <laughs> <laughs> it was a pretty good scream <laughs> I did like watching the the four little kids getting a getting a fight. That was kind of entertaining. Yeah, that that was my happy moment right there. It was like, <laughs> "What? You just punched that little girl and her sister came in." I'm like, "Oh man." Only thing that was missing for that for me was um <clears throat> for the two um Targaryen daughters to freaking take off their earrings and put their hair up cuz it it was on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so let's go with this week's trivia question. In the Raven's Eye, what is Rhaenys' unofficial nickname for Damon? Uh, <laughs> Solar had come up with a comment for what Rhaenys would, would be calling him during that whole segment during the funeral. What is that nickname? So there's your trivia question for this week. <laughs> and then I think that's it. Let's. Are we ready to close, Uzma? Three, <laughs> two, one... Who's, Who's that? That? <laughs> that was actually good. Yeah. Uh, now, some may not take this dragon very seriously because of his name, but he was the scourge of Driftmark and Wentwater, living on the aptly named Dragon Mart. While other dragons are described as majestic beasts, iridescent colors, or frightening monstrosities that can swallow a manhole, this skinny dragon was an ugly, muddy brown shade. Although it was larger than a few others, it was still considered to be a medium-sized dragon. It had a taste for mutton and an aversion to people. It never killed any innocent bystanders that are on record, at least not for about 70 years until its middle age. It will kill, however, or at least rather those who try to claim him will die, for he has gone unbonded for much of his long, long life. But a time will come where every dragon must be drawn to his side. Will it be green or black? Who will claim him? Only time will tell. This week we present the Sheep Stealer. And that's it for fans of the dragons. So Sam, let's close this thing down today. Hell yeah. Well, that is our episode. Uh, follow us on Facebook at A-W-P-O-I-A-F and Twitter at Ice and Fire Party. Uh, and email us at watchpartyoficeandfire at gmail.com. If you're watching on YouTube, feel free to comment below. And a massive thank you to our king of editing, Jordan Rannells, for editing and putting the episode together. Long may he reign. Uh, be sure to check out our friends at Watch Party Lord of the Rings for the Ring of Power series. Every Saturday they will be releasing a hot take of the latest Ring of Power episode. And on Sundays, a big old live stream at 11.30am Pacific Time. In collaboration with Fellowship of Fans, featuring a newbie panel with no book spoilers, a lore panel, Tolkien artists, cosplay, custom food, and drink recipes made by yours truly, Liquor and Lore. People, call, people can call in, participate live, and the stream will be posted on their po podcast a few days later. So mount your wargs and make your way. We also have our friends over at Watch Party of Will, Will of Time uh, who are taking a little hiatus while House of the Dragon and Ring of Power air, but there are still 41 episodes to enjoy. This has been a production of the Watch Party Network. Thank you very, very much for joining us. Uh, we are your hosts, Solar. I should have been there. Constance <laughs> you're stealing my bit of house words Constance 
So yeah, good night, folks. Uzma. Bella Mugulis. And myself, Sam. Valar Morgulis. Mm-hmm.